Hi, welcome to Changemakers, a smarter school podcast exploring how to live a successful and happy life. I am Katlehom Klochema, your host. On every episode, I talk to great thinkers and doers from different walks of life who are at the forefront of positively impacting society. Our conversations focus on their specific journeys to achieving their goals. We talk mindsets, books, advice, and tools they use to keep them motivated. All the key ingredients you need for a happy and fulfilling life. I hope you enjoy this next episode. What many people don't realize is that you don't get promoted because of tenure, because you've stayed for so long or because you deserve it. You, you, you get promoted to the next level because you're already operating at that level. Then they say this person operates at this particular level, they deserve the promotion to that particular level. So you don't start operating at a particular level when you're promoted into that role. No, it's the other way around. Sure. You get promoted to that role because you're operating at that level already. So you always need to keep working ahead of where you are, work to where you want to be, operate at that particular level. So, so that like the movement to that level is, is just natural and, and no one can deny it and no one can even contend it. Sorry that my, my voice sounds so bad, man, but I hope you'll be able to hear me. You know, these things happen. Um, and I hope that if we do indeed decide to publish this episode, that it will be audible enough and not a bad listening experience, you know, for the for the audience or listeners. Um, so firstly, thank you for making time. Um, to come onto the Change Makers podcast. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Sure. How, how have you been? How's, how's Cape Town? Uh, Cape Town is, is good. And um, uh, I just talked to my wife about how uh, we enjoy it here. It's, it's good for raising families. On the downside, the, uh, the you get quite a small part uh, for what you'll probably get in Joburg. Other than that, uh, it's really lovely. We've enjoyed it. We've been here since 2016. 2016. That's interesting. So when you're saying small pot, you mean in terms of your salary? You think people in Cape Town are paid less? Um, no, I haven't uh, come across that. Uh, I have read about that. I have people saying that. Uh, I'm not sure I wouldn't use myself as a statistic because it's just one person, so... It's probably true. Uh, personally, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I haven't experienced that. I haven't really seen a difference between here and when I was in Joburg. Well, that means I must hurt you. I thought you were saying you get a small pot when you are in, in Cape Town compared to when you're in Joburg. So... Oh, no, no, I was talking about real estate. So talking about real estate. So we always look at like, real estate and look at the prices of houses around here uh, compared to similar suburbs in Joburg. Uh, Joburg, you get something much bigger than here generally. Uh, I wasn't talking about uh, the income. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I get you. Yes, I know definitely. I mean, the house prices they are, are are quite high, significantly higher compared to Joburg, definitely. Um, so I mean, without further ado, you know, uh, the first question is always, you know, who's Mpendulo? Mpendulo, you know, where 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 do you come from? Where were you raised? Where did you go to school? And um, sort of give us a, a summary of, of your journey to get to where you are today. Right. Uh, I, I grew up in, in Sosin, Sosin is my home. Uh, I went to public schools there and, and did A-levels at St. Mark's uh, High School. Uh, and then I went to Vets uh, to do engineering, I did electrical engineering. But when I finished, uh, 
I, I didn't feel like going to work as yet. I wanted to do postgrad and I wanted something more exciting. And so I went into telecoms, uh, took a year doing masters in telecoms and, and then uh, went to industry. Uh, I, I joined Huawei. Uh, I stayed there for like only seven months. So, <laughs> so we sort of media gateways for MTN Vodacom and all these telecom companies and stuff. And then I moved into encryption, software engineering, uh, which is basically where I've been since. Uh, more from there, then I went into fintech. I came down to Cape Town specifically for fintech because I wanted to learn about fintech. Spent some time uh, building apps for banks, for retails, for insurance companies, also the financial services. Uh, and then once I felt I had a good grasp in that, and then I moved into crypto, which is something I've always been wanting to. Which is where I am now. I'm a principal iOS engineer at Lenovo, uh, and we develop mobile wallets. Sure, for for Luna, eh? I, th I think we can mention the company you work for. Yes, that's Luna. Yes, uh, we've yeah. just been celebrating so, having it uh, as one of the uh, uh, Cape Town skyline buildings. The one eighty Samsung is, is now uh, in Lenovo building. Yeah, just next to to the three um corporate buildings of the of the main three banks in in south africa right it's just there in the middle. Right. yeah it's yeah, yeah it's, a, it's quite a good site um so i mean <clears throat> you you did electrical and then you went into telecoms and then software engineering was software engineering part of your um, undergrad and 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 your masters that you did or is this something you picked up um afterwards right so i so uh, i wrote my first program I believe that was in second year. I think it was the second year of electrical engineering. I had never done any programming before. And uh, I was a kid, so I started uh, working on Linux distributions when they were like nine or 10. <laughs> so it always felt like something that you can never learn or catch up with people. And uh, I actually failed it in third year, I think. Yeah, I failed one course uh, my entire university in that was software engineering. And so I had to do that course um, again. And so when I went into, uh, when I finished, I, I, I felt, okay, uh, now I can uh, program robots. My final year project was an automated robot from CSIR that was uh, using lasers uh, to navigate um, around and land without anyone controlling it, which is pretty cool. And uh, I felt a bit more comfortable at the time, but I, I felt I still need to learn more about software engineering. So. I stayed behind for telecoms because I wanted to telecoms, which is a lot more evolving field than the traditional high voltage engineering. But at the same time, I wanted to bring in an aspect of uh, software engineering in there and develop something in the telecoms aspect. Uh, so I was doing fault error correction uh, there. Although I ended up using MATLAB really, which I don't really <laughs> classify as uh, programming. Uh, yeah, it's mostly simulation, just the right code, but I would say it's programming. So then when I left Huawei, um, I felt that it wasn't quite giving me personal skills that would empower me to make change in industry and to build industries, to start my own companies. That is why I only lasted there seven months. Yeah, and I felt I needed something where I can have more capacity, personal capacity than getting experience to work for another company. And that's why I went into software engineering. And so uh, I was already fairly comfortable going to software engineering there because I'd already done a bit of it at university. 
obviously you do one or two languages at university in the workplace there's so many different things but once you learn the concept it's, it's pretty easy to pick things up and so i was doing research engineering there and uh, one of the things i pride myself in i was writing an algorithm is called the jira buffer algorithm uh, it's for voice over ip applications that uh, basically works on the audio as it arrives because it arrives out of sync as the udp packets arrive out of sync and so it sounds very bad in the ear when it's sent over the wire uh, over the internet so i wrote that algorithm to basically smooth out the audio so that it's audible on the ear and at the time it was actually better than the whatsapp audio uh, that's when whatsapp calling just came about and that what i wrote for secret that company was secret it actually sounded better than how it sounded in whatsapp so that was sort of a personal milestone for me obviously whatsapp is a lot better now <laughs> yeah so i wonder if you could fix my voice and make it sound a bit different today on on this podcast but maybe not um, uh, i definitely I just can. Want to... it's just an issue of frequency harmonics is it oh interesting yeah i i want to to track back to <clears throat> your years as a student you said you failed at some point and and you failed what you actually now doing most of which is software engineering right mm -hmm. um so how, how did you get over that you know most people when they fail they sometimes think okay this is not for me you know they go the other other direction or look for other different you know um professions you know how how did you stick it out you know what helped you to to go through you know that failure and how did you become because now you are a principal lead right in in one of the biggest fintechs right which is luno today um how, how did you get there how did you overcome your failure it was an incredibly embarrassing time but um <clears throat> uh i stuck it through and just said i'm going to do this and then i did it again and i had to confront my fears because when i i stayed behind for masters i wanted to specifically focus on uh taking those very fears that um, i came across in third year failing something for the first time I was like this is the very same thing that i wanted to do for my masters which was a big risk uh to want to do masters in something that you're not good at and i did it and actually did it well i, I finished it within 12 months uh, and it was a full dissertation masters in, in telecoms which is pretty which I think was not too bad for for something that was sort of like your fear. So I I, I enjoy taking challenges and and going straight for the things that you you fear <laughs> and doing those things. And now I'm in software and I'm a principal engineer. I lead a team of engineers at Luno. We have three principals at Luno. Well, four is one for Android, one for web, one for backend. So it's actually four years. And so if you look at the company of Luno size and being a principal there on something that at university I was seeing for the first time and that I actually failed, uh, I think it, it sort of tells you that anyone can uh, go and pick up something that they've never done before and go and excel in it and be even a leader in industry in it. Were there any practical tools or strategies that you employed, you know, to get over that fear and to also push your master's? and now to become a seasoned professional and one of the top leads um, in Luna today? Like, what exactly did you do? Uh, the, probably there's absolutely nothing that beats uh, personal determination. I spend a lot of time 
uh, reading online, learning stuff, I learn by doing stuff. So I pick up something and I learn it and uh, I write tutorizing it. I read quite a fair bit of books, but I probably spend more time doing technical stuff than I do reading books. So I don't read as many books as I would like to because I also spend quite a lot of time trying to upskill in other uh, technical areas uh, of, of my career. Uh, and even things that are outside even of my own career because I want to have a broader perspective of things. There's cloud, as I do cloud, I do machine learning, uh, and then the traditional software engineering side of things and a couple of other things. It helps you to give a more rounded uh, overall perspective of things. And I love learning languages. I even took Hebrew languages. I taught myself Spanish and I was learning Greek also. And you find that that increases your aptitude and just helps you to uh, pick up things faster when you force yourself to, to learn new things. Um, learning discipline, uh, same thing whether you're taking sports. I, I do a bit of running, I do a bit of swimming uh, uh, and a couple of other sports. So just like taking those various things and putting them in your schedule, if you think you're busy, Try taking two more things and put them into your schedule. You realize you can actually add more stuff into your schedule and you're probably not as busy as you thought. And also, if you feel you're too busy, probably there are a couple of things that you can take out that you probably don't need or that you, you shouldn't prioritize on. Uh, you can reprioritize things better. So I think it's an issue of discipline and, and just going and going and going. Some things are really hard and you can go for some time and you don't feel like you're making progress. But before you know it, uh, you realize you're actually doing it. Yeah, I think I think that's interesting. You know, I had a conversation um, with one of our guests and she was talking about um, planning your days, you know, and actually making sure that whatever you want to be or whatever you want to achieve, you look at the hours that you spend and say, which of these hours will actually help me, you know, to get to where I want to be in the future, in the near future, you know? And I think you, you're sort of saying the same thing. So how, how do you do it? How do you schedule or plan your days? Because I mean, you, you, have, a, you have a child now, you have a wife, you know, you run, you do biking, you learning five languages <laughs> and you're doing all these other things. And, and you're also giving people some mentoring, I think, as, as well on the site and, and you lead a team. I don't know how, how large your team is. So how do you find time to do all of these things? And do you think that, uh, is there any aspect that you feel that currently is suffering? Is suffering and how, uh, what's your process to try to improve, to improve that, that part? Right. So it, it is virtually impossible to, to try and do everything at once. Uh, in computing, there's something called parallelism and then there's concurrency. Parallelism is when uh, two processes are running at the same time, but concurrency is when uh, two processes are running uh, not exactly at the same time. So the one runs uh, and then it opens space for the other one to run and then the other one opens space. So they sort of like go back and forth like that. And at the end of the day, they both look like they're happening at the same time, but it's not exactly at the same time. They just like spacing each other based on the amount of resources that the one needs at that particular time. So I think it's the same principle that we use as human beings. You prioritize on, on, on Mondays. This is what I do. I've got meetings. Uh, I've got a church meeting every Monday evening. Tuesday, you prioritize, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I go running. 
uh, maybe I do CrossFit or something. Wednesday, I do something else. Thursday, I go swimming. Friday, you do something else. Uh, the weekends, it's mostly time with my family. In the evening, between 6 and 8, I don't pick up a call. I don't look at my phone generally. Uh, it's time with my family until my daughter goes to sleep. And only then I can start attending to stuff and I can start working. So it's all about prioritizing, having particular times that you look hard for something specific. Even now when you work, now that you work online, there's always stuff going on in Teams. If you use Teams or Slack, if you use Slack like me, you, you need to block out some particular times. You say, this time I'm looking, I'm reviewing other people's work. This time it's my own work. I'm doing my own work. This time is for meeting. This time is for this particular thing. So you, you need to block things and, and do things in particular blocks. Um, and, and obviously you appreciate that you can't do everything at the same time or in the same day. Some things is for another day, other things for another day. Some things are good in the morning, like gym is good in the morning for me. Uh, swimming, I can do it in the afternoon, uh, that sort of thing. So you, you sort of can prioritize like that. And, and then some things you can learn in the morning when your mind is fresh. Some things you're okay learning them later in the day when you're feeling a little bit tired. Yeah, well, I, th I think that's great. And, and, I, I, and I want us to dive a bit deeper into, into that philosophy of planning and, and prioritizing, you know. Um, and, you know, I think it, it's probably easier when you are at your level now you senior you know, you can block out and say, you know, keep quiet to the people maybe who are under um, busy now, you know, but have you always had this sort of, um, um, you know, strategy in terms of how you spend your time, like from an, from an early age and also, you know, when you started working, was it easy for you to communicate maybe with your seniors to say, okay, this time, this is what I'm doing. You know, um, I can only do this at a certain time. How, how did you go about that? So from a, from an early stage, um, how did you do it? Right. Um, as human beings, we are very adaptive. We are incredibly adaptive than we, we can realize. And you never know it until you're put in that situation. Uh, until you, I'm going to use a stereotype here, until maybe you're somewhere in Afghanistan and bullets are flying and then you realize you need to do something to keep alive. You won't know some of the things that you're capable of doing until you're in that particular situation. So it's the same thing if you don't have a job, for example, and you're sitting at home, you spend hours and hours on social media, watching TV or, or doing whatever that you can do just to keep busy. And, and you don't realize how much time passes and you don't realize that uh, with the series that I've watched, the five seasons now, I could have actually done three courses on Coursera that are probably free or on Udemy. And, and so you don't realize how much time is passing because you think you have the time, you don't have obligations. So it, it's the same thing when you're, you're an employee. Before I had so much responsibility, I was just doing things ad hoc because time was allowing. I've, I've always wondered how top CEOs manage to have all the time to do all the things that they need to do. Uh, and uh, until I, I got into leadership positions and I had so much responsibility and almost everyone is looking for you the whole time, then you're forced to, to adapt and, and be pragmatic about things. And you look at how can I manage things. Like I put my Slack off. It doesn't show I'm online at any particular time so that people don't have the expectation that I'm going to respond immediately. I, I can respond later in the day. Um, and uh, with t and also uh, I communicate that, okay, now I can make my slave to say uh, in, in focus mode and people can see that, okay, now it's not available. 
and, and that sort of thing. So when, before I, I took so much responsibility, I was just getting things done because time was allowing. I wasn't in as many meetings. Uh, I didn't have as many people needing help from me or asking things from me and that sort of thing. But the more stuff you have, the more you're forced to, to be more creative, uh, to do time management better and to block things better. And also, fortunately, the more you have the, the what do I call it, the, the right, or should I say the privilege of being able Security. to block. Yes, where you can block and say, okay, I'm not going to attend this now. I'll get back to you later. Uh, and yet, as, a, as an employee, uh, as a junior employee, when someone requests something, you feel obligated that you need to respond immediately. Even if it's my manager or even the VP of engineering, if he sends me a message or something, I can read it and not respond it in there. I can respond to it later because I'm busy. And that seniority allows me to be able to do that, that whoever needs anything from me, uh, I can only get back to them when, it, when it's convenient for me because I'm busy with something and everybody respects that. So it's just about adapting things uh, and using the position where you are, even when your employee doesn't mean that you can't uh, plan your, your day better. You can still plan your day better and do a lot more. In fact, that, that's when you get the time to take advantage of uh, the more time you have to do better, to excel at things, to take initiative on new projects, uh, run with projects and champion them and, and, and make your name to be out there, to be seen. Uh, and then once your name is out there, unfortunately, you'll get more responsibility. <laughs> then fortunately for you, because you've been practicing these things, you'll just seamlessly adapt in, into taking more responsibilities. Yeah. So I, I want to um, dive in a bit more on, on the, this leadership aspect, you know, uh, and how, you know, you, you are leading and developing the team that you're working with. Uh, but before you respond to that, you know, what was your ascendance you know how, how, what do you think set you apart you know from other people you know to get to where you are today <clears throat> excuse me sorry let me just take a sip you know uh, to get to where you are today you know um, was there anything that set you apart from the others you know did you do anything differently to get you where you are you know what 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 attributes do you think you possess or or, or what knowledge do you think you have that maybe others don't have that got you to, you know, to um, get to the position that you are in today? Right. That's a difficult question. <laughs> uh, firstly, I, I don't believe that people are self-made. I believe that people are made by lots of people around them, lots and lots of people. Uh, in my case, when I finished in the countryside where I was studying, uh, someone offered to take me uh, to stay with them when I was doing my A-levels and I didn't pay a cent. When I was at university, when I failed my course and the sponsorship dropped, dropped me, um, a, a friend of that same person who took me uh, paid for my fees. And so you look at uh, all the journey and you realize that maybe you're not as self-made as you think you are. Wait not for those things, you probably wouldn't be where you are today. Uh, my mom had to take out some of her savings and pay for me, so <laughs> uh, she didn't have to, but she did. Uh, and so even at Luno, Luno is a place with an incredible uh, uh, culture. Uh, we have, uh, we call them mentalities, basically these values uh, that people need to have uh, for them to be successful. And one of those is we think big, but we humble. 
people are very smart here, very, very smart, uh, but they are very humble and always willing to help. And so uh, I've learned from a lot of other engineers who have helped me to be where I am today. Obviously, uh, having all the support structure still requires you to do quite a fair bit of work yourself. So part of, of that, one thing I've realized in, in many organizations is, is that there are very few leaders. By, by leaders, I, I don't mean people in leadership position. I mean people who function as leaders. Functioning as a leader means that when you see that, okay, there's this process improvement we can actually do, they pick that up, they champion it and say, hey, this is what I've done. And everyone says, like, wow, this looks incredible. And they incorporate that in. And, and now we've got a process improvement in place. Uh, they see a particular something that can be done. They pick that up. They do it and say, hey, this is what I've done. I think it's going to help us in this particular way. Uh, someone reports a problem. Everyone sits back and say, oh, someone is going to pick it up. And, and no one is taking ownership of that. So there's very few people who will jump forward and say, hey, let me help. And then they help and provide a solution and take uh, uh, the, the company from one place to another. What many people don't realize is that you don't get promoted because of tenure, because you've stayed for so long or because you deserve it. You, you, you get promoted to the next level because you're already operating at that level. Then they say this person operates at this particular level, they deserve the promotion to that particular level. So you don't start operating at a particular level when you're promoted into that role. No, it's the other way around. Sure. You get promoted to that role because you're operating at that level already. So you always need to keep working ahead of where you are, work to where you want to be, operate at that particular level. So, so that like the movement to that level is, is just natural and, and no one can deny it and no one can even contend it. So, so that's the best way to, to go forward is always to always operate at the next level to where you are. Uh, you need to go that extra uh, step. You're not doing it for your company, you're doing it for yourself because it's good for your own personal development. So that, uh, I think that, that that is the one underpinning thing that's very important, taking ownership, uh, championing things, finding what can be improved, pick it up and do it, uh, and always uh, present the best solutions. So sometimes people think about the here and now, the solution fixes the problem, yes. And uh, this also points maybe to seniority. Yes. Maybe the summer that's done, everyone reviews like, yes, 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 looks good. Someone with more experience uh, comes in and, and stands like, yeah, this works, but uh, this is not going to be extensible. Tomorrow we want it, we may implement this module. This will only work with this particular specific scenario. We want it to be extensible. And so, and then request people to make changes so that things are extensible. So you always need to look ahead in the solutions that you create. This looks fine now, but where are we going to be in future? We're going green. This looks fine now in terms of using diesel, but how about tomorrow? Should we be looking at setting up something that's going to be sustainable for tomorrow, even though today it may look like an overkill? So you need a good balance of the here and now and looking into the future. Yeah, no, no I get you. I think, um, so you're saying we should, someone should just take the promotion even before it's handed to them. So behave as if you're in that position even before you are promoted. I think that's a very um, great philosophy. Um, and, and, and you're saying you should not just be thinking about today, but of the future, which is also related to, you know, thinking if I was an MD today, or if I was a CEO today, what would I be doing? You know, um, 
um, in that position and try to do it today instead of waiting to be that thing. Uh, but how do you sort of develop that sort of outlook? You know, what do you think gave you that, that sort of outlook? Um, where does it come from? Or, or, or do you think that's, that's what everyone has? We, we all have that in us. Or is, is there a certain process or a certain program or a certain sort of thinking that we should be attuned to, to get to that? Uh, right. Uh, this is probably another really difficult question. <laughs> and, uh, I think it's, it's like watching Paul Scholes, uh, if you know a bit about football, uh, playing for Manchester United in his prime time, looking at the yeah. passes that he'd make diagonally across the field, which is incredibly beautiful, other than the fact that the pass goes directly to that person at the far corner of the pitch, maybe to David Beckham at the corner there. But the fact that having that vision to see, and if Paul Scholes is not there, there's another player there who's playing in his position, and he's not able to make those passes, not even making those passes, not able to see uh, that I could actually pass the ball there because most of the opponent you know, is in the, is in the left side of the pitch and then make a diagonal pass, even if they have the ability to make that diagonal pass, but they don't have the vision to look there. So... Some of those things are natural gifting. We can't deny that there's a bit of talent, but there's also a lot of hard working that's involved in, in training yourself in, in working on your mind to focus on those things that you know that you should be looking at. Uh, I always read about Cristiano on how he, he always is the first and the last to leave pitches and how he's always demanding of his coaches from here the food he eats to just about everything and he is a supreme athlete. So you see that uh, this guy is really talented, but the amount of effort that he puts in is also a sheer amount of effort. So I, I think it's the same thing when it comes to this. There are certain aspects where some people are, are pretty good at it naturally uh, when they're junior than some who are senior than them. But also there's also the aspect, obviously, in fact, that's the majority part that they are actively thinking about that, that how do I make this abstraction as abstracted as possibly as best as it possibly can be how can i make it usable tomorrow so some people are lazy there's also a technique what i call technical laziness where you just think about the quickest solution to get something working and you ship that out you don't take time to sit back and think is this going to be useful tomorrow is this going to be extensible can someone plug this and, and put it somewhere else outside of this context one particular very important advice uh, my manager told me, my previous manager, he, he said to me when, when I was just moving levels uh, to, I think it was before the level I am at now, and he said to me, now the most important thing that I want you to take time on, you're really writing exceptional quality. You are producing a lot of code in a short period of time. You're doing very well. But now I want you to step back and not start measuring your performance based on how much work you do, but based on how much thinking you do. So be comfortable with, taking le with, with doing less work and thinking more uh, and think more strategically about the impact of the work that you're doing. And I think that requires a bit of a paradigm shift because you just want to get stuff done quickly, quickly, quickly and show that you can do a lot of work. But now you need to take more time to think more and, and, and work less. So when you think more, you, you realize you probably even write less code, for example, because uh, it's so well abstracted that you don't need to write like long blocks of code or whatever that you do in your profession uh, because it is so well abstracted. So it is all about that. You get given a problem, take time and sit back. 
what, what, what is the root cause of the problem? Don't fix the symptom. Fix the root cause. What is the root cause? How, if I fix the root cause, then I'm going to fix potential symptoms tomorrow that may arise. But if I fix the symptom, maybe it's just one of other symptoms and another symptom is going to show up and then I'm back to the same place. So I think that helps uh, to to sit back and look at the root causes and then look at how you can make whatever impact that you're making to be long lasting. Yeah, let's let's stay with with uh, with the theme of, of of leadership and and forward thinking. So now you you have your team, right? So I guess for every leader, the challenge is, you know, um, can the team function if I'm not I'm not here, right? You have to capacitate and skill these people to grow and be able to function without you know being too instructive. So how are you then today doing? that for your team you know how are you getting them to be in that space where they also sitting and thinking you know ceo even though they are not ceo thinking more strategically not just solving problems quickly for the sake of having an output you know how are you doing that with your team currently that is an incredibly an incredible uh, question i'm glad you asked Probably the most important question really for any leader. It's a very, very important question. Uh, you hear when people say, it keeps me awake at night. <laughs> well, it doesn't keep me awake at night. At night I sleep, <laughs> uh, I think, yeah. during the day. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very important question, and it is something that I've spent a lot of time uh, investing in doing that and in putting mechanisms in place to ensure that when I'm not there, people can be able to do the work. I, I never want to feel so important that some things can't be done without me. It makes me a terrible leader and in fact it overworks me because it means that I will have to be responsible for doing so many things. So it's a, it's a couple of tools that you use. One of the most powerful tools as a, as a leader is delegation. So you, you learn to, to delegate. You say, hey, uh, here's some work that needs to be done. Uh, th these are some challenges you may come across. This is how I've typically solved them in the past. You're free to use your own approach. Uh, please go ahead and do it. If you, if you have any problem, uh, get back to me. Uh, I'm more than happy to help. You, you give them just enough for them to use their own thinking to get the work done, but you empower them enough so that they are aware of some pot possible pitfalls. And then in their approach and their problem solving, they keep that in mind, that there are pitfalls like that, so that they can be able to apply themselves better to apply those and ensuring that uh, the solution is proof uh, of those pitfalls. Uh, I found that incredibly beautiful. And some leaders misunderstand what delegation is. They think delegation is to take the dirty work and give it to some uh, other colleagues to do it for you. That is not delegation. Uh, I don't know the term for that. It's probably not a very nice term either. I know of that. Food soldier. They're making you a food soldier. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> food soldier. And spoon feeding is, is, is terrible. You don't want that. And believe me, people are, are very clever. They are intelligent. They can tell if some work is given to them as dirty work to clean up dirty laundry or is given to them to challenge them and to help them grow. So delegation is to give work that you yourself will be proud of doing. If it's work that you wouldn't be proud of doing that, then that is not delegation. So I 
over and over again, I take some of the best work, like for example, I'm in iOS and people really love to work on things like widgets, Apple Watch, uh, uh, and those sort of things, having uh, support for, for those uh, different devices in the iOS ecosystem. Uh, it's what most iOS engineers want to do. They, they love doing that. And, and while I love doing that myself, I, I choose to delegate that work. As, as I speak, two of those projects, <laughs> I've delegated them to, to engineers to do, which myself I'm itching to do, because I, I want them to enjoy what they're doing, uh, to feel empowered to do what they do, and, and to be always looking forward to more, uh, to be looking at how we can develop things. And, and then, so that's the one aspect, delegation. Then the other aspect is documentation. That, that's another incredibly important aspect of things. So you want to uh, document how do we release builds to the App Store, for example, if you're releasing builds to make them available to customers. How do we set up our server to run the builds? How do we uh, do this? Uh, when it comes to interviewing, you, you document, you, you put down the question banks and then you document, this is how you ask candidates. These are things you're looking for when you're, when you're interviewing candidates. You document just about every important process. Documentation should be in such a way that it leaves room for creativity on the person reading it but it should also be detailed enough so that people don't have to remain with questions after reading what has been documented. So documentation is, is very, very powerful because you could be away and people know where the documentation is and they go and read it and do exactly what needs to be done and life continues as if you're not there. So I think those are two of the most uh, important aspects of growing your teams and making them independent. Sure. So, so you don't have any any cheesy lines that you give them to to shift their mindsets and and be more f futuristic and problem uh, solving um, more broadly. You don't have any of that. You just do those practical things. This is what uh, I don't believe in. In, in I don't believe in <laughs> cheesy lines. <laughs> uh, I don't believe a lot in motivation. I, I do listen to lots of motivational talk. Uh, but uh, I think that people can listen to that and inspired for a second and forget about it yeah. the following moment. Uh, I believe in principle. Yeah. People need to be taught principles. Principles stick. People learn principles and they do principles even when it is not convenient, but because it's a principle. When it's your principle, for example, yeah. whether if you're a believer to pray, you pray even when you're tired because it's a principle. It's something that you do. So uh, the, one of the most important principles is a simple question, why? So whenever you, you want to do something, so we have something called design docs. So a technical design doc, so when there's a, a big feature or a project that needs to be done, I always insist, uh, and even as a company, engineering, lunar engineering, we insist on you creating a design doc. You create a design doc, what is the problem uh, that we're currently experiencing? and how how do we want it solved so by how do you want it solved then you are going to but before you talk about how it's going to be solved you talk about what outcome would make a good solution so you talk about the desirable things and it's also very important to discuss what are the things that are known goals so it's also very important when you're defining a specification to define what the specification doesn't solve so that's clear that this is the goal, this is what we're solving, and we are not trying to solve this. 
And then once that is clear, then you can now come to the how. And then you, you start talking, you, you basically say idea one, we consider this idea that we could do it in this particular way, but these are the challenges that come with that. And these are the prawns, these are the advantages of that, but we feel the disadvantages are a bit uh, outweighing the advantages. Idea number two, idea number three, and then you have a proposed solution. Because of the above, this is the proposed solution. It is good in this particular way. It's extensible in this way. Uh, we feel that it best represents uh, the problem solving uh, for, for this particular feature. So you can see that, that the person has applied um, a, a lot of thinking, looking at what is the problem, what is the root cause, what is the outcome that we want, assuming that this problem is now solved, and then you talk about how we're going to solve that. So it, it's the same thing when uh, people are doing work. Uh, you basically want them to ask themselves, why? Uh, why are we doing this? So if you choose this particular solution, you must have looked at other. It can't be the only solution. There can never be only one solution to a problem. There will always be multiple solutions. So you have, should be able to answer very confidently as to why that particular solution. That means that you've already considered other solutions and you've done assessment and you have a strong why. This is If you don't have a why, it's not a good solution. No one should accept anything that comes from someone who doesn't have a why on why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, you said you said you don't do cheesy. That's very cheesy. Why? <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This is not the end of my conversation with Mpendulu. I hope you enjoyed our chat and got some actionable advice you can apply in your life. The second part of our chat will be published on Tuesday, 30 November. We will dive deeper into Mpendulu's life philosophy. This has been a Smarty School production. Catch you on the next episode. Stay smart and keep well. If you enjoyed this episode of Changemakers, please subscribe if you have not already. Help us spread the word by rating and commenting on the podcast. We like hearing from you, as this will help us create better content and reach more people. Share this episode with your friends, family, and colleagues whom you think will benefit or like this sort of content. If you have questions for me or my guest, or topics that you would like us to discuss next time, email me at podcasts at smartschool.co.za.